Just early last service. You might be eating lunch at 11.35. You don't know. Are you worried about it? Okay, good. Neither am I. <laughs> but uh, there's two verses that are important for us to read. We're in John chapter 18. And in John chapter 18, we will read these. We'll start a little earlier to kind of catch us up on the, the review by simply, as Jesus is standing before Pilate, uh, you rightly say that I'm a king. And everyone at the end of verse 37, and everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. You know, the saying that we spoke last week, and I found out later that it was actually Mike Tyson that coined the phrase, I did not realize that, who is a boxer, who had his own share of troubles. We're not here to talk about Mike Tyson. Okay, but he is the one that coined the phrase. He's a boxer, and he said, everyone has a plan till they get hit in the mouth. And then it also they say that in football, and I mentioned that, and that everyone can say, if they want to, truth is all relative till they get hit in the mouth with the truth. And Pilate is getting a face full of truth. He has tried to escape dealing with Jesus. He said, you take him and judge him by your law, since you're the ones that are bringing him about Jewish law. And they said, no, no, because we, our law says we should execute him, and you've taken that right from us. And we discussed the prophetic word about that. He, and what the John doesn't tell us is that he then sent him to Herod. And um, John doesn't tell us all the story. He tells us his part of the story that he's given to tell. He goes to Herod, there's no avail there, because he, when he found out he was from Galilee, Pilate did, he went, send him to Herod, maybe I can get this out of my jurisdiction, I won't have to worry about it, I'll let the, them all take care of it and get, get my hands washed of all dealing with this, because he doesn't want to deal with Jesus, and he can't get it done, and he keeps trying, and then he brings Jesus out to the people, he actually lets him be beaten, says, behold the man, we read in other verses, and several times he says these words, I find no fault in him. No fault. You know, if you spend enough time with anybody, you won't be able to say that about them. <laughs> there might be somebody in your life right now, you go, you know, I find no fault. That person's never done anything wrong. How long have you known them? How closely have you known them? Have you lived with them? All right, so you get my point. So I, I find no fault with him. But he did not have the courage to do the right thing. And it does take courage to do the right thing. Any dead fish can float down the river. It takes a live fish to float, to float, to swim upstream. And you got to jump over those little uh, waterfalls and such, rapids. Isn't that amazing what salmon do? Let's talk about fishing for a while. No, but anyway, you know, I live from the great Pacific Northwest, and I've been to uh, some of the places, Campbell River, and do you think I've ever caught a fish? Anyway, enough about my pain. All right, so, uh, uh, you know, 
<laughs> Pilate says, I find no fault in him. I'll beat him and let him go. But he doesn't have the courage to do the right thing, and that already is the wrong thing. And then Barabbas, whose name means son of the father. Bar in Hebrew is always son. You know, Yehuda, Bar such and such, Bar such and such, and also Ben can also be used that way, but Bar is son. And Abba, you've heard the term Abba? Bar Abba, son of the father. Interesting name, huh? There was a custom that the Romans uh, began with the Jews because of the great tension that existed around Passover. Passover is the, is the reminder and the dedication and the celebration and consecration of God delivering the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage that had been 400 years, and they're now free to go in the wilderness and to take the promised land. Freedom in God, the, the Jehovah, their God, has delivered them. And yet here they find themselves in bondage to Rome. And there's great, it's a great, and then the city swells by multiplied uh, numbers on how many people come into that town for Passover. And the in- intensity and the energy is high, and so is the possibility of rebellion and strife and a great upheaval because they want their freedom. So the Romans instituted, we're going to release a prisoner, a Jewish prisoner from our prison of your, you know, that either we pick usually, and, and as a gesture of kindness to you. And so, oh, you guys have, we have this custom that one goes free. And it tells us in the other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, that the one who brought up the name Barabbas is not the Jews, but Pilate. Barabbas. He was the first one that is named. He's the first one that names him, and he's the number one criminal in Jerusalem at the time. He's thinking, surely they'll choose Jesus for release over Barabbas. you got to think he's thinking that. Because Barabbas did all the things that Jesus was accused of and more. And he was not only uh, an enemy to the state of Rome, but he was an enemy to the Jewish leaders because he committed, it says, insurrection. He was a thief, a liar, a robber, and a murderer, and an insurrectionist, a, a rebellion, a traitor to the, co- to, the, to the general flow. He wasn't just a zealot. He was a guy that was trying to, but he was kind of a zealot, but he was a self-serving zealot. And, and he was trying to uh, uh, overthrow authority. And remember that, that uh, the high priest said, listen, we've got to have one man die. It's proper. We need to have this happen because we can't have the whole nation crumble under the, having the people rise up. They didn't want Barabbas really any more than they wanted Jesus to go free and create trouble. Are you catching what I'm saying? I refrained from saying, are you with me? Because I was told I say that too much now. It suddenly became a new phrase in my life. Are you with me? I mean, do you get what I'm saying? Okay, so anyway... <laughs> So, and, and this guy is doing, has done all the things that Jesus is unrighteously accused of. So Pilate's clever, but he's not clever enough. He's clever, but he's not courageous. You know, if you have a choice to be clever or courageous, clever doesn't mean anything. It means you know how to scheme. I mean, there's a certain kind of good clever, and there's a bad clever. And when you're scheming and manipulating... You know, when you get into a group of people who are doing that, it's so easy to fall into it to defend yourself, isn't it? Well, I'll play the same game. I know how to play this game. You're called to a higher calling. 
So Pilate's clever, but he's not courageous. And he places the decision before the people, and now he's got to abide by the decision they make. He's suddenly stuck and is absolutely stuck. Would you that I release Barabbas or Jesus? Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Later you'll see that he says, what about your king? And they say, we have no king but Caesar. So, I mean, all the way to that, there was a song that we sang last week. You can have this whole world, but give me Jesus. But for these guys, it's anything but Jesus. Now, some of you, like me, can relate from an earlier time in your life. Anything but Jesus. Not all of you, but some of you can. Because in my life, when it came to coming to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, being Jewish, uh, believing in Jewish pride, believing that Christians were like Hitler to me was a Christian, you know, the, the wasp world around me was Christian, and if they hated Jews, or, and also because we don't believe in Jesus, you know, to that day, you know, to this day, the Jews don't believe as a whole in Jesus. And it was like being a traitor. It was anything, and I would have gone anyway. And some of my family around me and people that knew me didn't care if I did all these other things, but not Jesus. Anything but Jesus. I, I understand that to a degree from experience. So the influence of the leaders on the people, not all the people, but the influence of these leaders is to choose Barabbas. Or do they? Is it them choosing him? In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, when Peter stands up for the first time on the day of Pentecost, he says, Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. In other words, God had a plan to do this, and he knew how things were going to shake down so he could make it work here. Well, then why is anybody responsible? Because he says, God, he was, he was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, whom you, through wicked hands or lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. God is sitting true on his throne and fulfilling his promises, while they on earth are responsible for their actions. You know, those two things are not in conflict. They are parallel truths that go together. God is sovereign, and man is responsible. You might not be able, between your ears, to figure that out. That's because God is God, and I'm not. But God is sovereign, and man is given choice and responsibility for choice. God still sits on his throne, and prophecy, Bible prophecy, is a big deal. It's huge. It is understandable that people outside of the faith scratch their heads at Christians and prophecy on one level because people stand up and say, next Tuesday at 9 o'clock, Jesus is coming. You know, you've heard those prophecies where people, you know, it has to be within the next three months or two days or five weeks. Get your robe and go on a mountaintop. Charge up your credit card because you won't have to pay it. Be irresponsible because Jesus is coming. Um, Let's see, how does that fit together? (laughs) Be irresponsible because Jesus is coming. Do you know the Bible doesn't say that? The Bible says that we are to occupy carefully, faithfully. We are to be diligent in our labor, and we are to work as though the Lord could come at any moment. 
and just takes away all the speculation really to try to figure exact dates out. I'm to be ready for him right now, tonight, later on, tomorrow, and two weeks from next Tuesday. And that's how you live. Ready to go is what makes you ready to stay. Ready to go it always makes you able to stay and focus on what you're supposed to do because you know he could come at any moment. And I believe that. And it doesn't make me flaky. It makes me faithful because I'm a steward waiting for my master to come at any moment in the first, second, third, or fourth watch of the night. Are you watching for his coming? You know, if you're watching for your safety, good luck. Now, be wise. <laughs> be wise in your life and be careful about things that you can control in a, in, a, in a healthy way. But if you spend your whole time worried about your safety, you're not really looking for the Lord's coming. You know, we are to serve him. We are to give our lives towards that end. And prophecy is not foolish. It is one quarter to one third of the Bible, depending on how you break it down. Not only the Old Testament, but the New And prophecy points us to Jesus. In Revelation 19, a book of prophetic utterance, right? Revelation, John the Apostle, John who's writing this story for us, falls at the feet of an angel. And the angel says something a little interesting that I'm not going to comment on, but he falls at his feet to worship him. And the angel does say, don't do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren And here's the part that's important. Who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Are you catching that? The testimony of Jesus. The story of Jesus. Who Jesus is. How he came. What he came to do. What he did. How he left. All the things about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You see, it was foretold. Where do I start? How many could I cover? Hundreds, but just surrounding Jesus' time here before Pilate and just before. It's foretold that the Messiah would be betrayed by Judas, a guy, his best friend. It's been foretold that he'd be rejected and scorned of his own people. It's been foretold that he would uh, have false witnesses rise up and accuse him. It was foretold that he would be silent in, in defending himself. He didn't say nothing, but he never defended himself. For if he defends himself, it puts you on the outside. Because he's as a lamb for the slaughter for you. If he defends himself, you're doomed. Because now he's not making intercession for you. He was, uh, it was foretold that he would be beaten. It's foretold that on the cross they'd offer him gall and vinegar. It's foretold that he'd be crucified between t- uh, thieves. It's been told that he would be pierced in his side. It was foretold that he would be buried with the rich and with criminals. And there's many, many, many more. And even on his birth that we're in the midst of the celebration season when Herod, the older Herod, previous Herod, wanted to, uh, when the wise men came, and said, we, we've seen his star. Where is he? Oh, I'll let, you, let me find out for you. Go look for him. And, and, and he gets the, the, the religious leaders, all the religious leaders together, anybody that's got a scroll. Tell me, what, is the, what does it say about the coming of the king of the Jews? It says, they tell him, Micah 5.2. They all know there's a prophecy specifically where he's going to be born. Micah 5.2. Oh, Bethlehem, you're not the least among your brethren, for out of you shall come the Messiah. He's going to come from Bethlehem, Herod. 
and he sends the kings. So all these things are foretold, not just his birth, and not just his death, and not just his resurrection, but all things Jesus. He's been foretold and prophesied, and I've said it before here, but for those who don't know, rather than try to give you the 10 with the number above, with the many zeros behind it on the odds of even nine prophecies of Jesus' first coming or surrounding his, um, the Passover and his death and resurrection. Just nine of those all simultaneously being by chance together and happening, you'd have to take one foot deep of acorns, cover the state of California. One of those acorns being put a little red X on it. Do you prefer green? A green X. Because we like to be green. So anyway, <laughs> you put the... You put the the acorns. Yeah, I should go there because I'm kind of a nut. But uh, uh, and and uh, I get it. I get it. So uh, so you one foot deep, and then you let Rocky the flying squirrel loose, and he swoops down and he grabs one acorn, and it happens to be the one with the X on it. That is the odds of nine prophecies of the coming of Jesus to this point together, and there's hundreds of prophecies, let alone the prophecies that depict his character and nature and fulfillment of the Old Testament in the various ways. It's hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, these guys find fault with Jesus, and Pilate says, I find no fault, but it's ironic. Barabbas' crimes not are only what Jesus is falsely accused of by these leaders, but even worse, it's what the leaders themselves are committing against God. They're speaking their own judgment and their own guilt. They are thieves. Remember that Jesus cleansed the temple because of this thievery that was going on? A den of thieves and robbers. They are liars. They're lying and setting up false witnesses against him. And they are rebelling against God so much so that they are going to murder God's only begotten son. Jesus being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you by lawless hands have crucified and put to death. So, Jesus will die for their rebellion and our rebellion. And Barabbas' story is the gospel in a nutshell. <laughs> but it is. Somebody got it to their, to their grief, you know, a foot deep of acorns in a nutshell. It all ties together. Every word. Okay. So the, the gospel in a nutshell, the greatest injustice in the universe brings the greatest mercy that could ever be brought. Listen, Jesus is fulfilling several, many, many things, as I've already said. But one thing specifically that's happening in front of your eyes, reading two little verses and then adding Mark and Matthew, the story of Barabbas, Jesus is fulfilling Leviticus chapter 16. Because in Leviticus 16, you don't need to turn there, but you may want to read it later. Leviticus 16. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy 
picture that's painted in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. For in Leviticus 16, two goats are taken. Not lambs, but goats. And by the way, those words are interchangeable. A kid, a lamb, a goat, can bo- either one can be used for various of the offerings. In this one, it's two goats are taken. And one of them, after Aaron makes sacrifice for his own sin, then he goes in also with the blood of a bull as a sin offering and the blood of a goat into the holiest of place behind the curtain, the veil in the temple, the 11-inch thick curtain. Why is there an 11-inch thick curtain? Because the way, Hebrews tells us, book of Hebrews, the way into the most holy place, the very presence of God's glory on earth. I mean, it's only depicted for us, and he does meet with them there, but it's only a, a picture of heaven. Because you can't really show the whole thing, you know what I mean? You can't really be there until you be there. But God's connection to man on earth, his presence, his throne upon earth, is not the throne of the nation, It's the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat where God comes and meets and it better be mercy or we're toast. And it's behind the curtain, 11 inches thick. You know, we're going to read later when Jesus dies, the veil in the temple is ripped into from top where it's gathered to bottom. Not by men pulling on it, by God breaking it open by the blood of Jesus Christ. The picture, the picture, the prophecy, the prophecy, over and over and over and over again. Yeah, guys got together and figured this out. Bible written over 1,500 years, 40 authors, three continents, three languages. And somehow they all got together and figured this all out. Right. That takes faith (laughs) to believe that men could make the scriptures come true the way they come true. That takes faith. And so... The way in the holiest place was not made open, but the high priest once a year, first for himself because he's just a man. And then for the people, he brings, and one goat is slain. You know what the one goat that slain is called in Leviticus 16? The Lord's sacrifice, the Lord's goat. And one is sprinkled with blood, priest lays hands on it, pronounces the sins of the people upon it being taken away, and that goat is led by a man out into the wilderness, and that one's called the people's goat or the scapegoat. And we use the term scapegoat. It's, okay, it's not necessarily, you would think the scapegoat's really the one that dies. <laughs> like, and that's kind of how we see things. But the scapegoat, they say that because it's taken the sins of everybody else away. So like we make somebody the scapegoat and cast them aside. But the cast aside goat lives. It disappears in the wilderness. How far? Ten miles, they say, uh, by tradition, that he had to take it ten miles out into the wilderness. How far is it really? As far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our sins from us. The Lord has pity on his children, those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And so... This, this scapegoat is taken and this blood sent out into the wilderness. And the law that did that was only a shadow of good things to come, Hebrews tells us. A shadow. You know, the picture's been painted that, you know, uh, somebody you love gets off an airplane and the sun's over to one side and they cast a shadow. They get off the airplane and you go to greet them. You don't fall on the ground and start kissing the shadow. You grab the person. 
The law was a sh- we respect the law. The law is holy and just and good and true, but it paints the picture. It is the prophecy of Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus. Are you catching that? It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he's done that no man could do, no man would do. And so it says at the end of chapter 16 of Leviticus, of talking about the high priest in his linen holy garments shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He's atoning the place. He shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meaning, not only the holy sanctuary where the altar is, but the whole tabernacle of meaning for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the, for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did this as the Lord commanded Moses. It's interesting. In, in Psalm 103, it also says, The Lord showed Moses his ways, and he showed the children of Israel his acts or actions. Is there a difference? There is. There are a lot of people that know what the Bible says and can spew out the words. Okay, I admit it, I'm one of them. <laughs> I could just spew out the words because I've read it a lot. Studied it. But there's a difference between knowing what God did and knowing his ways, why he did it. Knowing his heart. Knowing his heart. You know, Moses was given insight to what God was doing for his people. So much so that when God said, you can go after the people sin, but I'm not going to really go right in the middle of you because you're, they're so sinful. And he had already offered Moses to make him the whole nation and just get rid of everybody else in Moses. And that was to draw out. Moses' name means drawn out. And God wasn't saying, this is what I really want to do, but you convince me not to. God's saying, let me see your, show me some intercession, Moses. Come on, let's see it in you. Let you picture it for all the, let, let the people who know God's ways, not just what he does, but who he is and why he does it, let those people be intercessors. See, if you really know God and you really know his ways, you just don't have opinions on how things should be. You have a care and a passion to pray and to intercede for those who are blind. Are you with me? I'm going to say that. Are you with, are you with God on this? This, right now, for many, some years now, this has been the primary need direction that I've seen in the body of Christ. The body of Christ needs intercessors. People who will stand in the gap and pray wholeheartedly, passionately, giving up time, giving up freedom, giving up what I want to do, somehow, somewhere, I'm not telling you where and how, that care enough, are brokenhearted enough to pray and to beseech the Lord because that's the high calling that we've been given. And that comes from a person that gets it, quite frankly. If you get it, you'll want to pray. It'll be hard. Don't think like those who get it. I think there's people who get it and they just like zone in. No problem. We're super spiritual. I'm one of them. I'm not saying that at all. I just know the calling is true and it's right. 
And every time something happens in my life, in my circle, in my concentric circles, in the circle of the world, I know I'm called to be an intercessor. Well, there's some people that really have the calling of intercession. Yes, I get that. That is true. Do you not have it at all? <laughs> Does that mean you don't have it? <laughs> I'm not supposed to pray. I'm just, I just have the gift of help, so I just fix things for people, but I don't pray because that's somebody else's gift. I don't think so. I just preach. I don't pray. Would you want to hear a guy who preached and didn't pray? Sometimes you do. <laughs> Sometimes I haven't prayed like I should. Oh, how many of you prayed as much as you should this week? Raise your hand. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. <laughs> I understand how it is. But I'm not going to back off. Because we we're, we're desperately need to become prayer warriors. We desperately need to intercede. But God doesn't need our prayer. He knows what to do. For some reason, he wants us to know his ways. And you don't get to know his ways by just filling your head with knowledge. You find his heart in prayer, in waiting on him, in crying out to him. And if you're crying because you're hurt and you're crying out to God, he loves you. He cares about that crying too. Because hopefully others are praying for you and knowing that you're in hurt and in need. And it's all of us sometimes, is it not? Have you ever known that people were really praying for you and it just encouraged your heart? Have you ever had that? Man, is that special. I know this, I, I, I know, it brings up fear for people. But I, I'm a little scared that there's, we're developing a set of churches in our culture, not all churches, not everybody but us. <laughs> but there is this whole process that, you know, where it's not about seeking the Lord. It's about putting on a show for the people that, and getting organized so that people feel really comfortable. You know, God wants comfortable people to feel uncomfortable sometimes. <laughs> this isn't about making everybody feel comfortable. That doesn't necessarily help. The college campuses are trying to make all the students feel comfortable. About, right? How about reality? How about the church reality? Before we throw stones, what about us? What about us? Man, if I can encourage you, find a way to pray. Because on your own, you know, on my own, I should... And I could, and sometimes I do pray. I mean, I do. But on my own, without ever praying with other people, I find I dry up. It's harder. It stirs me when I pray with other people. I'm selfish. I need help. And so I'm glad that I do it. Find a way. I don't care about your schedule. I don't make your schedule. Find a way way, your own way. Grab some friends. Do something. Find a way to inter- not just to pray for your needs, but to be an intercessor. Now, are you ready for me to put the stick down? Because I'm, I'm probably beating the glue now. But, you know, I'm actually not apologizing. I could, I could, the problem is I could talk about it for three hours. I don't know if I could pray for three hours. And by the way, if you got going, you could talk about it for longer than you could pray to. Come on. That's how we are, naturally. (laughs) Even those of you who don't talk that much. It's easier to talk to each other and to just spew ideas and thoughts than it is to pray.
I wonder if we have an enemy that doesn't want us to pray. I wonder. <laughs> so, that was not in first service. So, because those guys are really great and they don't need anything. And you guys are a little bit, you know, on the second tier. No, I'm kidding. I say things like that to just lighten the load and say, you know what, we're just silly people. <laughs> Starting here, I should say. But, but God is good, isn't he? God's, I mean, the fact that God wants, he cares about you talking to him should make a difference to you in a wonderful, wonderful way. Why, would this, why does God want to hear from you, Ann Lynn? No offense. Why does God want to hear from me? What in the world is going on that God cares about me praying? I guess I am going on for three hours. Okay, here I promise, stopping. So, the reality is, as far as the east is from the west, we, do we ever hear in the scripture, I know there's probably some, uh, there was a great movie called Barabbas, but we don't know that that's true. We don't have any history that's absolutely absolute at all. In the scriptures, do we ever hear from Barabbas again? No. He's the goat that's set free that goes off in the wilderness never to be seen again. God is to the detail. Do you understand why we're covering this? God is to the detail. Rick Cohen did not make this up. He's not that smart. He's not that clever. He's not that insightful. He's not that creative. This is God's word. Give us Barabbas instead of Jesus. Because God ordained that Jesus would be the Yom Kippur offering, the goat, the Lord's goat. And so, atonement for whoever will believe. Shiloh has come, as we spoke last week. And for that, we're continually thankful. We take communion all the time because it's a continual praise and giving of thanks. It's a continual remembering the Lord till he comes. It's a continual sacrifice of praise. It's a continual sense of worship and renewing and getting your heart before the real issue of life. I am forgiven. I am made whole. You see, Barabbas was a condemned prisoner, and Jesus is the innocent one who sets captives free. Barabbas is a traitor rebelling against authority. Jesus was submitted to his father's authority even unto death. Barabbas is a robber. The only thing Jesus ever robbed, because all he did was give, what did Jesus rob? The grave. That's what Jesus robbed. The grave. Barabbas was a murderer. Jesus allowed himself to be murdered for us so that we live and the truth can make us free. Someone has to die and someone has to go free. Someone has to be, their blood has to be spilled and someone else has to be covered in that blood. Someone's blood has to be spilled and someone else has to be covered in that blood. You read Hebrews again, sprinkled by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, the washing of our sins. Someone has to die, and someone needs to go free. Whom do you choose today? I think, you know, I thought, well, do I need to ask that question? You know, almost everybody here I know. We'll have some visitors maybe that I don't know, but you know, for the sake of those that I don't. But, you know, in actuality, it's a constant question. Who do you choose? Who are you choosing? Who am I choosing right now? 
Obviously, to the non-believer, if you do not believe that I am he, Jesus said to these religious leaders back in John 8, back earlier on, if you don't believe that I am he, the Messiah, you will die in your sins. You know, dying doesn't scare me. Now, I don't know that I'm Superman about this. If a bullet's being pointed at, a gun's being pointed at me, or my car's... I, I noticed I was pretty white-knuckled going up Mount Washington, but I had a car full of grandkids, too. So, you know, it's like, well, if I go, it's probably going to be quick, but I don't want them to go, and Grandpa blew it. <laughs> you know, Mount Washington has been up there. You're a fool, just like I am, because how do you know... The guy that comes out to check your car, he doesn't see if you've been drinking beer. I mean, one guy could kill 80 people there. I can't, I'll never go up there again. <laughs> but, better, on foot. better on foot. I mean, you really, I thought, you know, there's a lot of trust going on here. We all trust all the other drivers, all the other cars. One false move and you're a thousand foot drop. I can't believe people do this. That's what I was thinking the whole time. See, I have a lot of faith, but I am a realist. <laughs> okay, so I don't fear death that I think too much. I, I realize how life goes. I've done a lot of funerals, and it kind of happens. It's going to happen to me. Maybe sooner, maybe later. It just is. It's just, it's okay. We're going. But I don't want to, that idea, dying in my sin, that doesn't sound very good to me. That's a scary thing, dying in your sin. Jesus came so that nobody would have to die in their sin. Who do you choose? Whom the Son sets free, he said to that same group of people, are free indeed, truly free. Now one more thing before we share in communion. The blood that was poured out on that altar, that mercy seat, and that ark of the covenant behind that 11-inch thick veil of the temple, that curtain, the blood of Jesus that it pictured, number one, it brings glory to God. And number two, it washes guilt from God's people. Number one, it brings glory to God. Number two, it washes guilt from God's people. Why is his blood, number one, bringing glory to God, and not number one, washing the guilt of God's people? I'm glad you asked. In the book of Leviticus chapter one, it goes through the five major daily offerings. And the first one listed is not the sin offering. When Jesus died, he became our sin offering. True? But as Jesus lived, who did he live for? How what percent did he live for God? Yeah, the burnt offering is the consecration or dedication offering, and it's the first one that's done. It's the first one listed for the nation on a daily basis. It's to bring a bull, slay it, and lay the whole thing. You pull out its innards and all this stuff. You burn the whole thing. Nobody eats any of it. Nobody gives any of it to the priest. Nobody buries any of it. You burn the entire animal on the altar because it's complete consecration and dedication. And, and the spirit of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That prophecy, that's, Leviticus is a book of prophecy. Every book's a book of prophecy. All the scriptures speak of Jesus Christ. He's the one that said it did. And the Leviticus 1 has the burnt offering first because Jesus was fully dedicated to his Father in coming to earth whether you were ever born or not. You couldn't worship him if you were never born, could you? (laughs) But you don't worship him because you exist. 
You worship him because he's God. And you just are fortunate that your eyes are open to be able to see that he is. But he's God whether you see him or not, whether you believe him or not, whether you were ever born or not. Now, that is not a burden to me. That is a freedom that puts my eyes off of myself and on to Jesus. You are who you are, Lord, apart from me. Because if he's not who he is apart from you, then he doesn't have the power to help and be to you whom you need him to be. So it's still kind of selfish on our part. But the truth is he's who he is without us. You need to know that. I need to know that. You don't worship him because of what he does for you alone. You worship him for who he is, period. He's the eternal God. This is beautiful. This is powerful. This is a release for my soul. Because sometimes I get confused. Am I alone? I get bewildered by my life and people around me and their life and how they all mix together and you know, I just want to run, but there really isn't any place to go because I always go with me wherever I go. <laughs> I've tried to get it, I've tried to do it through meditation, you know, like just separate, but I haven't. But I go, I try to get away from me and I can't. The only way I get away from me, and I'm, I love myself, don't worry about me. You can tell I do. And you love yourself too. You may. Even if you're mad at yourself, you're thinking about you because you love yourself. We do love ourselves. We don't always love ourselves properly. That's true. But we are very consumed by us. Are you, if you're not, then you're always thinking about other people and you're not even bummed that you're having trouble because you're so selfless. Are you that selfless that you're just thinking about other people and their needs and trying to help them? No. <laughs> you try to do that, but you also think about you. You know when there's a big picture, you take a big group picture? Do you go immediately, oh, let me find George in there. Where is he? No, you don't. Where am I in the picture? The first thing you look for is you. The first thing we look for is us. How do I feel about this? How's this making me feel? I mean, it's very natural. It's not like we have to eliminate it completely. We just need to put it in perspective. God exists apart from me. He is forever eternal God, whether I was born or not. But I was born, which makes my life more miraculous. God is the Savior, whether I let him save me or not, or I turn to him. But I did turn to him, which is a miracle, and it makes my life more amazing. He doesn't need me. I need him. He doesn't exist for me. I exist for him. He exists Jesus came first for the Father to bring glory to the Father. And second, and it's a close second, it's important. It's not diminished. It's just put in perspective. It washes God's people of their guilt, the blood of Jesus. He is the sin offering for us. Hallelujah. So God who existed forever, and Joel, without knowing what I was going to talk about really uh, as far as the whole picture, uh, he kind of knew the ending, but shared right from the beginning about the eternal nature of God and his presence. And it's so beautiful because that's really the story, isn't it? The God who has always been and will always be is here right now. All the prophecy, so you'll go, wow, about Jesus. Isn't so you'll just be in awe of him from a distance, but he wants you not just to know what he did. He wants you to know his ways, which means who he is. 
from the inside out. And that's what you're going to do if you choose to take communion. If you're a believer or you're bringing your first desire to have Jesus be your Savior, you can drink that cup and eat that bread and say, Lord, your life is my life and my life is your life. And I trust you today that as far as the east is from the west, you have separated me from my sin. You have carried away that sin. You have paid for that sin. And I am eternally grateful to you. Your body, the bread, your blood, the wine, broken and poured out, all for me. This God, who is beyond ability to comprehend, you are my God. And I will never get tired of coming into your presence, but I, Lord, want to grow closer to you by trusting you for all that you've done for me. And, Lord, that is our prayer today as the musicians come up.